morning. It's good to see you in God's house today. I welcome those who are listening in on our audio service line this morning. We hope to see you very soon. The Lord allows it, and the circumstances dictate. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. If you would like to give, you're listening to me online today, or you're listening on the service line, you can give at our website, which is lhcogfl.org. You can give through a Givelify app or the PayPal app. You can mail your gift. If you're physically here in the building today, we have a, a box in the back that you can leave your gift. Thank you for your faithfulness. May God bless your faithfulness throughout this time in your giving. Let's give our attention this morning to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to begin reading at verse 15. Last week we studied the first 14 verses of this chapter. We'll pick up where we left off. If the Lord allows me, my intention is to go through the entire chapter and chapter 25. So we'll just see what the Lord has in mind over the next few weeks. But Matthew 24, verse 15 says, Therefore... When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let them understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. Woe to those who are pregnant to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. But unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with the sound of a trumpet, 
And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we give thanks for the word of God. We thank you for its inspiration. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who spoke through your prophets, through the apostles, and most importantly, through your Son to give us this revelation, this word from heaven. We pray, O God, that our hearts would be open, that our minds would be receptive, that our spirits, God, would receive the implanted word that is able to save our souls. God, we pray for everyone who reads and hears this word today, and for the one who speaks it, for you know his weakness. Give us insight, give us revelation, give us supernatural understanding. Let the word take root. Let it bear fruit. We ask it in Jesus' name. The church agrees. Amen. So last Sunday we talked about the signs of the times, the questions that were asked by the apostles of Jesus Christ in that scene that is painted for us here in chapter 24 of Matthew, the, the great temple. They, 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 they're admiring the beauty and the construction, the magnificence of the great temple, which, which leads Jesus and provokes Jesus to tell them that one day that not one stone will be left upon the other. And so, of course, their mind goes immediately to the the, the fulfillment of not only that prophecy, which would literally be fulfilled in 70 A.D., but also all of the prophecies that concern what we today would call the second coming or the return of Jesus Christ. Now let me take a moment and, 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 and sort of clarify that term because depending on context, the second coming can mean a variety of different things. In some places, the second coming is used in reference to the resurrection of the dead. And so we know that that is part of it. In other places, it's used to, to describe the rapture, the catching away, the gathering together of the church. So we know that is part of it. In other places, it's, it's referred to in the context, particularly in some of the Old Testament prophecies of the redemption and restoration of Israel. And we know that that will be a part of it. And in, in this particular chapter, it's focused primarily on an event that we call the Great Tribulation or the wrath of God. And so we know that that also will be part of what we call the second coming event. The reason why we study this we, is it's part of the story of Jesus Christ. We, we talk about his birth. We talk about his, his death on the cross. We talk about his resurrection. We talk about his ascension. And so we must also talk about his return. For the story of Jesus is not complete 
until he returns to this world to rule and reign in righteousness. And so that is just as part of it. We're not, we're not privileged. We don't, I don't claim to have some inside information. I can't, I can't tell you that it's going to be this day or that day or this year or that year. We cover it, we teach it, we preach it because it's part of the Word of God and it's part of the story of Christ. Of course, we're all aware of the events that are happening in our lifetime and particularly in this present time. And so the temptation is always there to try to take the moment we're living in and try to compare it to what Christ said about his return. And, and, and we were warned about that. We talked about that last week, uh, how Jesus said many deceivers will rise up and, and tell you that the end is near when the end is not yet. There will be a lot of people who will seek to profit after that uh, P-R-O-F-I-T. <laughs> you know, sometimes when you say the word profit, you have to be specific what you're talking about. There will be those who try to profit off the, 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 the induced hysteria or the induced fear of the return of Jesus Christ. But he goes on to say that during this, uh, that during that age when people will be deceiving and pointing to this and that, that it's not yet, there will at the end of that age be something that he called the beginning of sorrows, the beginning of the labor pains. Suddenly these events uh, uh, will begin to increase in frequency and they will begin to increase in intensity. What was local will now be global. What was, what was uh, uh, just for one season will now extend over many seasons as we get closer, as we get closer to the second coming of Christ. So it's always important. When you're listening to somebody talk about the second coming or you're, you're studying it for yourself, that you make a distinction between those different events that are associated with it. We could also add to that list not only the re- resurrection of the dead, not only the rapture of the church, not only the redemption and restoration of Israel, but we could add to that list a time of great tribulation. And that appears to be what Jesus is referring to. In these verses, uh, uh, we could also add the day of judgment. That's also part of the second coming. We could also add the, the ruling of reigning of Christ for a thousand years. That's also part of the second coming. And, and then we could talk about the new heaven and the new earth. So it's always important to make sure you understand any time that your thoughts are on the second coming, uh, which aspect or which part of the second coming is being talked about. And I think it's very clear indeed Jesus himself says in this passage that he is giving, or in this sermon that he is sharing with his disciples, in this section he is talking about a time of great tribulation. The second coming of Jesus Christ will be preceded by an unprecedented day of catastrophe and destruction on the earth. Unlike anything that has ever happened before, and I want your mind to think about that, because this is a world that has experienced a worldwide flood in its past. This is a world that has suffered many catastrophes. Think of all the volcanic eruptions, all of the great earthquakes, all of the great famines, all of the, the, the great depressions and recessions, uh, the, the great wars. Uh, I, I, just this week, I, I, I know I'm, I, I, I'm a bit of a, not a bit, I'm a major history nerd. Uh, and, and this week marked the 75th 
anniversary of the end of World War II, victory over Japan on, I think, April 15th. I think it was uh, uh, Friday and, or, or yesterday. And, and, and so, of course, you know me, I had to go look up all my World War II documentaries. And so I spent a more major portion of this week talking or, or watching uh, uh, the, the, the different documentaries and the different films about World War II. And, and man, the level of devastation, the incredible destruction that overtook the uh, uh, majority of Europe and Asia and, and uh, Africa was, was just something that had never been seen in the history of the world. Just think about those atomic explosions that took place in Hiroshima and Nagasaki in Japan. Nothing like that had ever been seen in the history of the world. But Jesus says there's going to come a day of tribulation that even something like that you will not be able to compare with it. A day of such destruction and such catastrophe that if the Lord Himself does not come, Every single life, every single living thing on the planet will be destroyed. Every form of life, every tree, every blade of grass, every fish in the sea, every human on the planet, every, every cow, every pig, every goat, every single living thing will perish. The second coming is not simply a day of judgment. It's a day of rescue. Because the world will get to such a point. And I tell you what, I'm not, I'm not, I said I had no insights. I have, I have no special revelation. I, I cannot make a claim about anything other than how I see things and feel things in my spirit. But I do not believe we're very far off. This world has the capacity to create a day of destruction and catastrophe even now as we speak. All of the, the, the instruments of war and all of the instruments of, of, of the, the, the viruses and the, 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 the genetic mutations and all of the things that are taking place today, we, if, 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 if it's not our generation, and it may not be, but if it's not our generation, it must be a generation soon. Because Jesus says the day is going to come when the world is going to be in such a condition that if he does not come, no life will be saved. I want you to think in that terms. I know we understand, I know we understand more about this in the book of Revelation and the trumpets and the seals and the, and the bowls and all of those things. And we're talking about that on Wednesday night. And yes, I'll do a little ad for Wednesday night. You need to call in and listen. Or if you can't, if you can't, you can at least... Get the podcast and listen to it after the fact. But I'm telling you, church, the level of destruction is unimaginable. Even, with, even in our generation, we've witnessed 9-11. We've, we've witnessed wars. We've witnessed things happen. And yet we've got no idea, no idea where there will be no cave to hide in, no mountaintop to hide on, no desert place to go. A day of such tribulation that, is, that has never been seen in the history of the world. What will trigger this time of great tribulation? He tells us in verse 15 that the trigger to this great tribulation, the reason why this tribulation will be sent and while it will happen, will be because of one specific event, something that Daniel called and Jesus quotes 
as the abomination of desolation. Up until that moment, it may be argued, and I'm not trying to get to the theology of it, but some will say that, you know, we've been to the brink several times. And maybe that is true. Maybe it is true that humanity has gone right to the edge of this chasm of this precipice before, and God in His mercy has pulled back. God in His mercy has granted another season of repentance and another season of revival. And I pray daily for God to give us again a season of repentance and a season of revival. I long for that. I pray for that. I have, as much as I want Jesus to come, and yes, even so, Lord, come quickly. I do not want it to be at this cost. I know it cannot be avoided. Jesus said, my word will not pass away. It will come to pass, but my God, if I could spare my children and my children's children from that great day of wrath, oh God, give us another season of revival in the church of God. Give us another season of repentance. Bring us back from the brink, O oh Lord. But there is a turning point. There is a place, a point of no return where this event that is described as the abomination of desolation, and I'll go into that in just a moment, but just understand this much about it. From this moment that this thing takes place, this event, this prophecy is fulfilled. The great tribulation will begin. This is the trigger event. And I know uh, if you go back to Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 12, verse 11, he says from this moment, he says when they put an end to the sacrifice and the offering and, and the abomination of desolation is, is set up, he even gives a countdown. He says 1,290 days. You can almost put your clock on that. You say, well, Pastor, no one knows the day or the hour. We'll get into that soon. But understand that once this event happens, the clock begins, the countdown starts, and it cannot and it will not be stopped. This will be the trigger event that brings forth the wrath of God. And I know we struggle with that concept. I struggle with the idea of a wrath-filled God. The God I worship, the God I love, the God I serve is, is, is a God of grace and a God of mercy and a, and a God of compassion. And His mercies are extended to generation after generation and they're renewed every morning. And so when I read about this day of judgment and tribulation, I'm forced to ask myself what sort of thing, what sort of event could compel, could trigger, could so provoke the God of heaven that He releases his wrath uh, and allows mankind and all who dwell on the earth to feel the full effect and the full brunt of his judgment. What event could be so sacrilegious, so desolating, so abominable that it would cause the God of heaven to turn his back on this world and leave us to our own destructions? I want you to think about that for a moment. One thing we know about our God is that He is just. He is a just God. And, 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 and we're grateful for that justice because it serves us through Jesus Christ. 
Paul says we are justified by faith in Christ, that God justifies by Christ, that he might be the justifier of us. Amen. Hallelujah. And praise God for that. But what about those who reject Christ? What about those who replace Christ with another object of worship? What about those who claim that somebody else is the Son of God? I want you to think that through. We live in an age of identity theft. Amen? We all have to watch our pockets daily, right? We have to, we got, we got to get sign up for the alert from the bank and the, the alert from the credit union, the alert from the credit card people. And, you know, my phone goes off two, three times a week. Did you do this? Did you do that? And, and I said, well, no, I didn't, but my wife probably did. So we'll just, <laughs> we'll just, we'll just let that roll. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know if it says Coles or Michaels or Hobby Lobby, it's her. It's, it's her. It's okay. And praise God. Hallelujah. I, you know, amen. Amen. I, I've got my own vices. I can't blame her. I've I, I, I got my own things. But, you know, we live in such an age of identity theft where you really can't even be sure somebody's who they say they are. I've had, you know, we, we've been in a bit of a crisis in, on the, in, in my secular work and and we're trying to hire people, and I tell you, more than once, I've had somebody come in and fill out an application and use somebody else's name and social security number. <laughs> and I get the report back, this person isn't who they claim to be. I thought, my God, what a world. What a world we're living in where people just go in and steal your identity. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever experienced that. I pray you haven't. But if you've experienced that, I want, you to, I want you to remember, to recall the sense of violation, the, the distress, the anger, the desire for justice. Somebody took your name. Somebody took your good name. They don't steal bad people's credits, Right? I tell you, I, 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 I pity the poor person who tries to rip off my credit. <laughs> they ain't getting nothing. They're they getting turned down everywhere they go. Amen. Yeah, they're wasting their time. I think you've worked your whole life to be this person of integrity. Integrity in your financial obligations. Integrity in your name. And somebody comes along and rips it off and goes out and sows all manner of, of, of dishonest thing with it. Goes and buys flat screen TVs and gets themselves a new car and all of that with no intention of honoring it. And your name is the one that gets dragged through the mud. Your name is the one that gets blasphemed. Your name is the one that gets insulted. You're, you, you go to the, to the IRS and you go to the bank and you try to make your case and they look at you like you're a criminal. Amen. Come on. Now, if you feel that way about somebody taking your identity, can you imagine how the Father feels when someone comes and falsely claims to be the Son of God? Can you imagine knowing the integrity that is associated with His Son's name? Knowing the price His Son paid on that cross the price He paid, not just temporally. We, we don't understand the sacrifice of Christ very well. 
In our imagination, it's something like this. God the Son was just wandering about heaven, thought he'd take a 33 and a half year vacation on earth, go down there, go pay, a pay, go, go pay off the debt, come back and just resume everything like it was. But it's not that. Having been united with flesh, he can never be separated from it. His sacrifice is an eternal one. He is still the man Christ Jesus, even today. We don't understand the price He paid. He'd be forever, for all eternity, manifested in flesh. Never, ever able to resume His, 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 his pre-incarnate state. But He did it for us. He did it so that He could rule and reign. He did it so that He could redeem. Worthy is the Lamb of God. Worthy is the Lamb of God to be praised. Now, after paying that price, after displaying that kind of love, that kind of integrity, that kind of fidelity and faithfulness, being obedient unto the vision, even to the death of the cross, taking the form of the servant. Now, imagine some imposter comes along and claims all of the rights and privileges that are, right for, that are rightfully his. And sets himself up and says, I am the one who saved you. And I am the one you worship. Can you begin to just begin to get a glimpse of how the God of heaven, the God of mercy and the God of compassion could be so provoked? Should not the punishment fit the crime? Should not. One of the definitions of justice is that very thing. The punishment must fit the crime. And this abomination of desolation, I didn't really mean to get stuck here, but I want us to get this. Because we have a tendency at times, even though we understand it theologically, we have a tendency to downplay the judgment of God and the wrath of God. We have a tendency to push it to, sort of to the side. Let's just not talk about that. Let's talk about the love of God. But this world needs to understand that God will only be pushed so far. It's one thing to call a tree God. It's one thing to carve up a stone. God can wink at those things sometimes. He can, he can hold that in derision. How stupid my people are. How crazy they are. How lost they are that they think this rock or this tree branch that they've carved into an image is their God. That's a level of ignorance that God will look at sometimes, and even though it's sin, and even though He judges it, more, he judges it on, a, on a temporary basis just to snap us out of our foolishness. But now imagine knowing who God is, and then willfully setting up a substitute in His place, because the substitute serves our purpose better. Amen? The God who made us is in His image. We have now remade in our own image. The God who created us to serve Him, we have now recreated for Him to serve us. Now, I'm not just talking about the day, all of this that happens in the future. The abomination of desolation is, 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 is an event, yes, but there's a process that leads up to that event that is very much a part of the world and the church in this very hour.
We are provoking God to wrath. The God of mercy, the God of grace, will endure any insult to Him, but will not tolerate an insult to the Son. Let me explain that. This is Jesus says, anyone who speaks against the Son will be forgiven, but he who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not. I can only relate to this in my own, in my own human way. As a father, you can call me any name you want. And many have. <laughs> I've been called some things I didn't even know were insults. I had to look them up. Amen. You can, you can, call, you, you can insult me. I, I, I'm a big boy. I can take it. My ego is, I don't know, if it's, it, it, just, it doesn't bother me. I can honestly say for the most part, for the most part, I, I, I really don't get upset. I, I kind of figure that's probably more about you than it is about me anyway. Is the way I look at it. If you're, you know, if, if, if you're, you're mad at me and I haven't actually done anything wrong, then, then that's probably you. You're having some kind of issue. So a lot of times I'm, I'm, I feel a little bit sorry for you. Amen. You, you, I, I, somebody went off of me the other day at work, and, I, and my uh, person, a person works for me came to me and said, you going to let them say that about you? I said, it's not about me. I didn't do anything. They just got some kind of issue, and I just happened to be convenient. Amen. And I went and talked to them after, and they said, yeah, you're right. It wasn't you. Hey, I can, I can take it. But you come against my children. You come against my wife. You come against any member of my church. I'm not nearly as patient or kind or gentle. Amen. Amen. I... I I, 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 I have an intensity when I'm angry that is scary. Just why? No, I, I say this honestly. I struggled my, my youth. I struggled with temper. I struggled. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. I have a, I have, I have a, I, I skip all the middle parts. I go from calm to hellfire and brimstone. Just boop, boop, one step. There's the, the, the calm will last a, a long time. It's like, it's like a cup being filled. You keep pouring in there, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. But that last drop, there it goes. Boom. Nuclear war time. Scorched earth. You want to go? Let's go. I, I, have, I have scared people. I have scared people at work. I've scared... People in my family, because when I go off, boy, I can honestly say I'm not 100% in control in that moment. That's why there's no guns in my house. Amen. You've got to you gotta, you gotta know yourself. You've got to know your wife. You've got to know your family. You've got to know what's up. If I feel that way, and I'm just a man, how much more? Must God feel? He's watched and he's patiently endured. We misunderstand Romans 9 all the time, but God willingly, patiently endures 
all of these transgressions against himself. He even, for a time, for a time, tolerates the persecution and oppression of his people. Because he knows by their persecution, not only is their faith being perfected, but their witness is being multiplied. I've, I've thought about that a lot. Too. Why does God tolerate it? Why does God allow his people to be persecuted? And the only biblical answer I can come up with is it perfects their faith and it multiplies their witness. You know, we may not enjoy that, but I think that's part of what God's trying to do in this world. You know, we don't overcome nations by defeating them militarily. We overcome nations by suffering and by enduring their hatred against us and absorbing it into ourselves until it's spent. We are reenacting the cross in our own life. Paul talked about filling up the, the mark or filling up the, the purpose of the cross in his life. And there's a different sermon there, and I'm not going to go down that road. But when God's Son, who died and sacrificed his life, is so openly mocked, and a substitute Think about it. Think about the times in the Bible you've seen God wrathful. We think about it. Go back to Exodus. Moses is up on the mountain, communing with God. He's up there so long that people think he's dead. They go to Aaron. Aaron, guess you're in charge now, buddy. Aaron says, What do you want me to do? He says, well, we can't go out and we can't go off into promised land without, without, without some kind of God. He says, all right, bring me all your jewelry, all your gold. Right? You all know the story. You went to Sunday school, right? The golden calf. Now, what does Aaron say when he presents the golden calf to the people? Here you are, Israel. Here is the God who let you out of Egypt. Now, here's Moses up on the mountain talking with God, and all of a sudden God says, whoop, whoop. What was that? Moses, you better get down there. You better get down there. Because they've crossed the line. I'm about to take the whole bunch of them. They're about to be done with it. What provoked God to be so wrathful? Because they took his name and they put it on a piece of bronze and a piece of gold and a piece of wood and a piece of stone. And that God will not tolerate. You may call that piece of bronze or, or that statue of gold, you could call it anything else. Call it Zeus. Call it Odin. Call it Apollo. Call it Harry Potter if you want. But don't you call it Jesus. Because when you call it Jesus, the God of heaven takes note and says, I will not have such an abomination. Amen. Worship anything else if you have to. If you must be idolatrous, then be idolatrous. There's at least a path back from idolatry. It is. There are plenty of people who worshipped at the statue of Jupiter who became Christian. There's plenty of people who, 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 who held up Athena or Diana of Ephesus who were converted when their eyes were opened. If you must be idolatrous, let that be your idolatry. 
But when you take the name of Jesus Christ and you blaspheme it and you attach it to things that have nothing to do with Him, an abomination of desolation has taken place. The temple is no longer fit for worship. An abomination of desolation is something that makes the worshiper and the place of worship unredeemable. Amen. Desolation means utter ruin. It is ruined and it cannot be fixed. There is no way back. Jesus said, He who blasphemes the Holy Spirit, that sin will not be forgiven him. John said in his epistle, There is a sin that is unto death. And I say, Do not pray for the one who's committed the sin unto death. Oh my God, can you imagine getting to a point where even prayer can't help you? Pastor, this can't be. It's in your Bibles too. All you've got to do is put the pieces together. There is an event. It will happen one day when the man of sin, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist will step up and declare himself to be the God of the Bible. And God says from that moment the whole earth is ruined. Nothing on earth, nothing that takes his mark, nothing that bears his name, nothing over which he has control is now redeemable. Take that through. We are so accustomed to the grace and mercy of God that the idea of reaching a point where we have trampled upon the blood of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ so much, where we have sinned so willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, where we have utterly and completely blasphemed the Holy Spirit, where we reach a point where we do such an abomination that the whole body, soul, and spirit is irrevocably ruined and becomes unredeemable. Not just the physical temple and not just the physical earth, but the very soul and spirit of the one who does it. An abomination which causes desolation. Pastor, please, please tell me this is not so. If this was just the opinion of a Hal Lindsey or of a, of a Tim LaHaye, I'd say take it or leave it. But these are the words of Jesus Christ. He says this will be such a provocation that the only thing remaining for God to do would be send such tribulation on the earth that if Jesus doesn't come, every living thing will perish. Every living thing will perish. Sometimes, I know, and I say this, and I know this is not part of what Jesus is talking about here, but I know, I, I thank God for the rapture. I thank God for the idea that the righteous will be gone and will be carried out of the earth. But I, sometimes I imagine in my mind what if that were not the case? What if you and I were to be present in this world when this abomination of desolation finally reaches its fulfillment, its fruition? Knowing what was coming, what does he say? Flee Judea. 
Go. Get out to the, go to the mountains. Don't even go back and get your coat. Right? Don't even go back. Don't even turn around. Don't run and say, well, I've got to get my favorite. No, no, no. Because when you see it, get out as fast as you can. Flee like Joseph fled from Potiphar's wife. Flee. Because know that the judgment of God is about to fall. We don't even understand the level of provocation that it takes to provoke our God into wrath. It's, it's mind-boggling. But Jesus said the day will come when we will have treasured up so much sin and so much arrogance where we will have no compunction, no conscience about putting the name of Jesus on that which is anti-Christ. About putting the name of God on that, on that which is of Satan. And bowing down before it. And say, you are the God who saved us. You are the God who delivered us. You are the God who redeemed us. God says at that point, at that point, the great tribulation will come. The church, we have a promise. We have a promise that this hour is not appointed to us. We are not appointed to wrath. We have a promise from Jesus that he will keep us from the hour that will try the whole world. But that promise is conditioned on us watching and waiting and being prepared and witnessing and sharing with the world. We were talking about it Wednesday night in class. We don't just have an obligation to promote the gospel of salvation, but we also must promote what will happen to those who do not believe the gospel of salvation. Today, the unbeliever is in our minds someone who has simply chosen not to believe our particular way of explaining God. But you need to understand this. If they will not bow before the God of the Bible, what God are they bowing to? Because they're bowing, they're worshiping, they're honoring something, their life, even if it's just themselves, they're living, something has taken that seat on the throne of their heart and of their mind. And an abomination, it's an abomination to God. And we need to understand, the closer we get to this hour, the harder it's going to be to discern. This is why Jesus, a number of times, I didn't count them all, but a number of times in these passages, says, don't be deceived, false prophets, false Christ, false prophets, false Christ. There's going to be so many voices. There's going to be so many voices that they're not going to know which ones to listen to. And the voice of Jesus is going to get drowned out in the noise. And we're getting there. We're getting there. I tell you, if we're not there, we're on the brink again. Why must we teach and preach the Great Tribulation? 
because the world needs to understand what's waiting for it. The unbeliever needs to understand what's waiting for them. Oh, you shouldn't threaten people into believing the gospel. No, I agree. But I tell you what, until they learn to love the Lord their God, fearing their God will do. You see it again. The Bible says save some with fear. Amen. Hey, listen, I'm all about God is love, God is peace, love God, God loves you. What a gospel that is. What a message that is. And for a lot of us, that's enough. That's enough. It's enough to know God loves us and we love God. But some people aren't like that. Some people aren't there yet. I wasn't always there. Before the Holy Spirit poured the love of God out in my heart, the only thing that kept me connected was fear. I'll testify to that. I knew, even though I did not want it to be true, I knew it was true. And even though I wanted to live my own way and go my own path and just just pretend that none of that stuff was, was, was part of it, in my heart I knew it was true. And though I rebelled and though I turned my back on God, I did not turn so far that I could not recover by His grace. And the reason I did not turn so far is because I knew what waited. It wasn't the promise of heaven that motivated me in that hour. It wasn't the eternal joys of salvation. That was, that was far away. That was distant. That was that's something you worry about when you got old. Well, when I was young, it was the sure knowledge and the belief of what waited for me if I missed Jesus when he returned. Fear eventually became love by the power of the Holy Spirit. Fear eventually turned into an honest and an integrity to my faith because I realized that I did not need to fear if I loved the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But as a bridge, as a path, as a way to stay connected, it absolutely kept me. So let's not be afraid to declare the whole counsel of God. That almost all of the warnings we have in Scripture about this terrible hour come from Jesus himself. We must remember that. The one who died for us, the one who saves us, the one who loves us is the one warning us. And his warning must be taken just as much as gospel as anything else he says. As we have been warned, so let us warn others. For surely the Lord is at the door. Amen? Justice is both mercy for those who come by way of the cross and judgment for those who do not.
And that judgment begins with the beginning of the Great Tribulation. May God keep us from that hour. Would you stand with me this morning? All hearts and minds are clear. Greet one another in the name of Christ and be back at the appointed time. This has been a production of the Lighthouse Church of God. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. You are welcome to join us for service every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information or to support our ministry, visit our website at www.lhcogfl.org. Or if you're in the Broward County area, we would love for you to visit our church located at 1890 Southwest 31st Avenue, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33312. God bless you. Until next time, this is the Lighthouse Church of God, lighting the way through the storms of life.